plans are worthless. But planning is everything. General and President Dwight Eisenhower's wisdom still rings true today. The Mutual Broadcasting System presents STRAT, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk. A forum with a preparedness mindset. Mitigating risks, creating systems of prevention and recovery to deal with potential threats. And understanding the objectives of a business continuity plan. This is the podcast for leaders who are committed to being prepared. Now, here are your hosts, retired Marine Intelligence Officer and globally recognized risk expert, Hal Kempfer, and investment banking executive, Mark Mansfield. Mark, we're going to talk about something that gets really to the planning paradigm of STRAT, which gets into murders and acquisitions, or M&A. And, and this is such a core part of a of a business worldwide, I would say it's a core part of governance worldwide as well, in terms of how governments do stuff. But but we're going to get into this and and really, you know, the importance of a sound strategy, you know, basically building that that knowledge superiority, if you will, in terms of how you approach this process and making sure that whatever it is, whether it's a merger or an acquisition, makes sense for for everyone involved. You know, one other point I'd add there, too, is mergers, acquisitions, and divestitures, uh, at which point to, you know, uh, we'll we'll talk about that through this podcast. So very quickly, what's really, this is so unique because you and I have worked around the world on strategy formation, strategy testing. I've also had the opportunity to concurrently work for over two decades in mergers and acquisitions as as a licensed professional. And what drives me crazy or crazier is to see transactions executed on iBanking basis without the context of uh, a strategy or or the proper scenario development and then no follow-up with a post-merger integration plan okay PMI as they call it but anyway where where we're going with that is our discussion today is going to target what what we call the strat planning paradigm basically which is a three-legged stool, which is, as we said, uh, strategy, scenario testing, transaction execution, the I-banking element, and then the post-merger um, integration. Just And, and the, the foundational th- thought here is if, if there is no clear connection between your M&A diverse, uh, strategy or let's say your investment banking strategy and your corporate strategy, then the probability of success is very low and the probability of disaster is very high. By the way, that three-legged stool... Uh, so often I see only one or two legs, and not surprisingly, the whole thing falls over <laughs> at the end. Okay, I, I am really surprised, particularly at last one, post-merger integration. I, I see all sorts of stuff where where it's just not done, you know. And it, and it, it always reminds me when you talk about change management. You know, we talk about you know a, a parade where everybody goes through and there's bunting and everyone's exciting because you know it's hey look what we're gonna do whoa it's gonna be great and everybody's excited and stuff and then then they do it and and afterwards. There's just there's not that follow up, there's not that sound implementation piece, and and when you get into it, many times, there wasn't really a sound execution plan for how they're going to implement this merger or acquisition, how they're going to incorporate this entity into their organization, whatever it is, and, and you know, and, and you recall, and we're we're talking earlier uh, about you know, uh, way back when, uh, <laughs> I was more into the competitive intelligence space, you know. Uh, business intelligence, if you will, and and there was, and I want to kind of say who they are, 
but there was a uh, one of the dominant players in competitive intelligence uh, in North America was acquired by one of the big four, okay, uh, accounting firms. And they thought this was going to be fantastic, and everybody was excited about it and stuff. And they acquired them, and of course, all the folks in the in that and that competitive intelligence firm, uh, they got paid well, and they stuck with them for a couple of years, as they do, you know. And uh, and I saw them at a at a conference a couple of years after the acquisition. I go, how's it going? He goes, it's a disaster. It's an absolute disaster. And what what shocked me was that big four firm had spent quite a bit of money to bring them in, but had no plan. Right. on how to integrate them. Somebody said, oh, this makes a lot of sense. This really fits what we do. This gets into the due diligence of what we do. They didn't have a detailed implementation plan. And, and honestly, as far as I could tell, the whole thing just kind of fell apart. So, and, it was a, and it was a complete waste for everybody involved. So, so we're going to talk about that specifically, actually, in terms of some, some key takeaways for our listeners, not just a story, but actually action items in terms of, of what, they can, what they can do. Um, so there's, there's a, a fundamental point here is that uh, before we dive into the fancy models as an analyst or as an investment banker and, and all of this, it's to go back to the so what we can call, say, quantitative or, or hard analysis. Mm-hmm. Sometimes this is not given what it's, it's due, but, you know, the understanding of the assumptions or what some would characterize as soft if you're in a business school environment, it's actually very important. And, and that goes to whether it's geopolitical, uh, any number of things, but if the assumptions are out of line, it's it's the the the, the analysis is is going to be be uh, silly. Trillions of dollars are spent yearly on mergers and acquisitions. There's a rough rule of thumb that r- uh, close to seventy percent don't work out. Okay, but 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 within that bucket uh, that do work, McKinsey did an excellent study that we're going to come back to in a second here, just as to which ones are effective, which approach is effective and what we've witnessed you know with as boots on the ground in the field as a company owners and as investment bankers uh what does work you know uh with that uh when we're talking about at 70 percent that fail uh i would say uh the first one scenario development testing wasn't done adequately at the beginning that's right and by the way if they did that adequately at the beginning they probably wouldn't have gone down that path you know, and then of course, a post-merger integration. We've just talked about. I don't want to beat that horse too much, but uh, but but that is so critical in terms of what we're talking about. By the way, one thing I want to mention up front. I just want to put this in there. We're talk. We're most primarily talking about mergers and acquisition. Anybody who hears that says, "Oh, that's corporations. That's business. That's definitely right. private sector." I've been involved in a number of public sector. M&A things. They don't call it M&A. I don't know what they call it. They call it reorganization, all right, where they take one entity that's in one uh, under one part of the government and they move it into another part of the government. And we saw a lot of that certainly since, you know, post 9-11. We've seen a number of reorganization things. By the way, many times it's underperforming entities that they say, oh, well, we'll solve this. We'll take this thing that doesn't work and we'll put it over here. And it still doesn't work, but it's over here now, and it's not our problem. And so it becomes a uh, divestiture, if you will, uh, for many. Uh, same thing. They don't do the scenario development. They don't do the testing. They don't war game how this would possibly work. And when I say war game, it doesn't have to be a, what we think of as a structural competitive war game. It could be a different type of war gaming approach where you're basically doing scenario-driven planning. 
and and they don't do that post-merger integration. In fact, usually in those things, it turns into a disaster that ends up just hemorrhaging talent. Sure. Because people get into a situation where they go, these people don't know how to run us. I am I'm under underutilized, underemployed, if you will. And within government, uh, sometimes they'll quit and leave, but more often or not, they'll just look for somewhere else. And there's enough things open out there that they just leave. And then pretty soon, whatever that thing that was acquired or divested, depending on your perspective, it just becomes even more dysfunctional because you don't even have the people there who, who knew how to run it in the first place. Yeah, it's a, it's a public policy Rubik's Cube. You know, it's a, it's a, so uh, I, I completely get it. So let, let's set the table here for our listeners. Uh, I, I think what we need to do is just delineate a couple of key points in terms of the type of M&A. We're not going to get silly about it, but just give it to you. Uh, we'd like to talk about just three elements that drive successful M&A. We'll be very concise about that. And then we'd like to talk about the, the strategy, execution, and PMI in, in terms of the planning paradigm. So that's what you can expect to take away from uh, our discussion today, very quickly. There's roughly four categories. Now, this is just according to McKenzie. I mean, other, other banks, other, but generally speaking, this is how it's broken down. Uh, programmatic M&A is basically more than two deals per year over a decade. And what that does is it not only layers mar- market capitaliza- capitalization together, but it builds an indigenous um, capability to execute, isolate opportunities, and then integrate. And you know the, the numbers are in the proof. Um, this, th- this style outperforms its peers by at least 2.3% annually as, as reported here, and can have as high as a, a 50% higher share price over a 10 year window. That, and it's actually not just periodic. It's it's in terms of having that indigenous capability and talent always on. You're able to do deals in rough periods mark, uh, when, when there's downturns. Now, the second bucket is selective acquires. Similar strategy, but they just make smaller deers, uh, deals and on a, not, on a much less frequent and on a somewhat irregular basis. Then you have the mega deal acquires. One large deal could be representing sometimes 30% of the market cap. And that's uh, and then of course the fourth one is uh, companies that don't really engage in uh, much M and A, but really they they try they grow organically. Now there's a lot to be said for that cultural integrity, but there's a flip side as well because there might be a potential uh, for a little too much uh, inbreeding and not enough uh, mix with with the cultural cultural map. Then we'll come back to some numbers on that, but they organic tends to underperform its M and A well-executed M&A peers uh, by a couple of percent. Well, it's because you're inventing the wheel. You know, when you move into a different area, if you if you already take an existing entity that's already has the uh, corporate knowledge to do these things, if you will, or he has a proven business model that works, uh, you're bringing something that's functional in. If you're building it organically, sometimes you're building it from scratch. In many cases, you are. And it's just too tough to do. And then... Since you're, in many cases, you're moving into an area where you don't necessarily have the incumbent or organic expertise in how to do it, you're moving some internal talent over and you're putting them into a steep learning curve. And frankly, I got to tell you, the world moves very quickly. The market is right. ferocious and and the market doesn't have a lot of patience uh, for large, large players that don't know what they're doing. Yeah. They will be eaten alive. Small players that get eaten alive all the time, but large players as well. Yeah, it's a fine line. I mean, and that's actually one of the points that we want to make. Too much, uh, too much all at once without the appropriate capacity. And we're going to come back to that 
is is, is dis- disruptive to the culture and, and can't be absorbed. But again, stagnant, predictable, empire building, non uh, just a, a, always an internal focus with no external objective analysis can lead to its own problems. I mean, to to, to your point. Um, we're going to go into the three C's in a second. There's one thing I, I think we should address because we've talked about mergers, we've talked about acquisitions. The other point at the get-go was divestitures. Okay, the divestiture isn't necessarily a fail. It's not a failure at all, actually. It's it's um, you know you basically do a, a an audit and make a strategic decision back to your uh, gaming um, as to is it is it a core asset? Is it is it relevant? Um, this, by the way, will all be explained at our with a resource we're going to make available to you. We'll, we'll cover that at the end of the, the call. Um, is the asset exhausted? Um, is there no ongoing marginal value? No, no, no reason to keep it? No return on investment any longer? Or is there regulatory pressure? Well, we've already talked a little bit earlier about at some point uh, about ESG, but um, regulatory pressure could be a reason to acquire or a reason to divest. I mean, is, is something becoming a liability because of uh, you know pending uh, regulations? Let's talk about the three C's real quick. Yeah. Let's talk about competitive advantage. Let's talk about capacity, that's financial and organizational. Right. And then we'll talk about conviction. You know, the consistency right. with the management team, the top-level support, the champions, if you will, internal, external for whatever's being done. And it's understood throughout the organization and understood with all the stakeholders. Let's go into that for a bit. By the way, I would point out that uh, I want to do this because I always do this whenever I talk about this, particularly in front of various groups. There's a difference between capability and capacity. All right. Capability says you could do something. Capacity says you can do it at a certain level. All right. And I got to tell you, I've seen a number of, of M&A activities where they go, oh, yeah, 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 they can do that. They can do that. And then they get into it, and it's like, yeah, they could do that at this small level, at this small functional level. Yes, they could do that. But at the level that you're anticipating, the level you're thinking about, they would have to transition into something very different from what they are in order to perform that. And that really gets down to capability versus capacity, that, that they confuse those two. And I just, want to, I just want to say that up front because that's something that goes into gap analysis in terms of what can you do and at what level can you do it yeah so uh, that's excellent i i call, I call it the treadmill um the, the, the treadmill activity you know lots of activity but you didn't go anywhere um so okay the competitor we've got a, a lot to cover very quickly competitive advantage you we're gonna we're gonna help you understand that can can you assess and are you able to reassess where the strategy is going based on externalities capacity you've covered nicely thank you and then the conviction the conviction of the team the leadership is it understood from the top down as you say the champion to the other stakeholders i mean is a board is a board behind you is your supply chain behind you uh are are are, are that down to the the troop level are are they are they marching with you let's talk about these the three just let's encapsulate the three legs here strategy is number one you've got to evaluate reevaluate look at the technical issues the regulatory issues the geopolitical issues you've got a gap analysis you've got a probability impact grid that that uh, you're an expert on you've got to have boundaries okay green what we call green amber red green what what would you do Amber, what would you consider doing? And red, what will you never want to do, even though if uh, Mark or Hal thinks it's a good idea, your group doesn't do it? 
Can I just say one thing? Of course. The the discussion, the analysis that goes into setting those boundaries, the discussion that goes into color coding those activities is probably the greatest value. It's not the fact that you went up there and you circled it green. And by the way, I've seen that before, too, where <laughs> someone just goes up and says, I think that's red. Great. I got your opinion. Terrific. <laughs> if you have a, a group come together and you discuss, you start qualifying these things as saying, Okay, th- we think this is amber, but this is why we think it's amber. And I've seen some incredibly dynamic, insightful discussions that come out of that that can literally go back and redefine everything that you're working on because of just the coding of those things. You know, as, as, as we often say, uh, you know, with a lot of these tools that we use, it's not the tools themselves. It's not even sometimes the outcome of the tools themselves. It's a discussion in using the tools that brings the most value to an organization. Uh, absolutely. You, uh, you and I are looking at each other. We've moderated, we've spent hours moderating a, a, a C-suite team and trying to come up with what they think is uh, a green versus red. And, and simple in concept, very difficult to have the right moderation to get it done. Let's talk about execution. And this is you know, near and dear well, to my Well, I heart. want to say one thing first. Okay, go ahead, please. Critical intelligence gaps. Oh, yeah, yeah, very good. And as an intelligence guy... That's a big thing for me, <laughs> right? And I got to tell you, any, any planning, any strategy process, you identify uh, intelligence requirements, intelligence gaps. You know, we, we used to say, uh, we used to have a saying, intelligence drives operations, and I used to say planning drives intelligence. In other words, what you plan to do drives what you need to know to do it. Yep. Excellent point. This is, uh, as you can see, listeners, this is a very holistic exercise. Okay, there's two more points. B is execution. Very close as an, as an investment banker. You know, you need to have people with experience that are smart enough that know how to structure your deal, set the valuation, proper financing stack, and the, hopefully the deal's accretive and have uh, the right deal criteria to get things done. Um, and then, and then r- run a due diligence process and manage the army of other professionals with strong personalities such as your lawyers, your, your the, the, the other management teams, the accountants, the due diligence experts for a specific technology that is gonna be required. This all comes to the deal leaders. Last point, post-merger integration, you've heard us talk about this. You need an integration, you have to have someone on point, an integration management office who can have the focus, how, when, and how do we put these companies together? Who owns it? And who's driving the culture? And by the way, what this gets into is the strat approach, if you will, the three legs of the stool. It's digging into each one of those, scenario development, transaction execution, you know, investment banking, and that all-important post-merger integration. And if you think you have all the stuff you need in your company, great. You're wonderful. You know, God bless you. But I would say do your work before before you take a huge hit later. And, and I think that's where most of that 70% is they didn't do the hard work, the hard homework before. They got personality-driven you know, driven sort of thing, politically-driven sort of thing, if you will, and and they lost objectivity on what whatever it was they were looking at doing, whether a merger or an acquisition or an investiture, and at the end of the day, it's failure. Mark, this is a fantastic discussion. We could probably go on for hours on this. Uh, well, we have gone on for hours on this. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, but fantastic, and, uh, and, and, and thanks. That was you know, a lot of insight here. Thank you. This paradigm is, 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 is so significant, and it's very rare. Strat, Strategic Risk Assessment Talk with Hal Kemper and Mark Mansfield. 
podcast weekly from the Mutual Broadcasting System.